0: at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson.
1: The Bible says, for by grace you have been saved, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, I think that verse is pretty clear. It is by God's grace, and God's grace was achieved not by you or me, we played no role in it whatsoever. God's grace was achieved by the only begotten Son of God, the divine Son of God, Messiah Yeshua, Jesus Christ. And how did he achieve it? You know this, he laid down his life, he went to that tree, that cross, and he died. He and he alone paid the price. It was his blood and only his blood that could provide for us, purchase in our behalf, eternal redemption. So it's very simple to understand that by grace you have been saved. The scripture says, by works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Now when it talks about the works of the law, It's talking about good deeds, those things that God is well pleased with. And good deeds are our right to do. We should be obedient people, but our deeds, our obedience is not related to how one is saved. And whenever one teaches that it's through faith and works that one is saved, that one is a false teacher we need to realize that it's only by means of what messiah did that we can have confidence assurance that we are eternally secure by god's grace by the faithfulness of messiah what he did his work not our work now does that mean that our works aren't important god's uninterested in them absolutely not They are very important, but not as a means of our salvation. They do not play any role in one being saved, being justified, experiencing forgiveness, entering into this covenant, a new covenant, whereby we receive the privilege of entering into the kingdom of God forever. What we do, our actions, our works, have nothing to do with how one is saved, the means of justification. So why are works important? Well, works confirm, they they give evidence that one is a true believer. To who? Not to God, God knows. See, you cannot be saved until you believe in your heart, yes, confess with your mouth, but believe in your heart, concerning the work of messiah that he died for your sin and that on the third day that god the father raised him from the dead you must believe in a bodily resurrection of messiah you believe you have faith in his work his death burial resurrection you are saved and your works can only confirm that to other individuals God doesn't need to see it. God knows your heart. So it's very dangerous. It is very incorrect that, that an increasing number of people within the evangelical movement, that they are teaching that works have something to do with the means of one being saved. This, and there's no other way to say it, this is heresy. This is disrespectful too what Messiah did perfectly, all sufficiently, upon the cross for all human beings. So our works, they can confirm, they can bear witness, they manifest our salvation experience, but they do not play any role in our salvation being achieved. Take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Matthew and chapter 25, the book of Matthew, and chapter 25 we have one more section to go through it is a longer section but god willing we'll get through it in this session and look with me if you would to verse 31 matthew 25 verse 31 it says here but whenever the son of man obviously we're speaking about yeshua jesus of nazareth but whenever the son of man should come in his glory. Now I would highlight that, underscore it, why. This speaks of his divinity. You see, human beings, we can manifest God's glory by by righteous conduct, by obedience to his will, but we don't have any of our own glory. It is only when the Holy Spirit works in my life And I'm simply a vessel an obedient vessel then and only then will God's glory be manifested this is not what this is saying it is saying something of great significance and that is this Messiah Yeshua Jesus Christ he had the glory of the Father the glory of God why this speaks to his divinity So the scripture says, whenever the Son of Man should come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, now this term holy angels, some Bibles leave out the word holy because some Greek manuscripts do not have it, but the best one does. So if you're looking at the Texas Receptus and not some other Greek New Testament, Uh, It will indeed have the term holy, as in holy angels. And it just simply speaks to his angels being committed to the purposes of God. Then what will he do? Look at the second part of verse 31. Then he will sit upon his throne of glory. What throne are we speaking about? The kingdom throne. And once more, his throne also is a glorious throne. It has that same glory as God the Father. So this speaks, as I said, to the divinity of Messiah. Once more, then he will come and sit upon his throne of glory. And then, verse 32, and he will gather before him all the nations. Now, what are we speaking about at this time? Are we speaking about the rapture, the blessed hope? We are not. We're talking about here the second coming. Why? Because we're going to see undeniably that that this scripture has to do with judgment. Remember what Messiah taught? He says when he came the first time, and I'm speaking about 2000 years ago, he did not come to condemn the world, but rather to save the world. Look at what it says in John chapter 3, verses 16, 17, and 18. He came not to condemn, not to judge, but to save. But the second time, when he comes at the end of this age, he's coming to judge, and that's what the scripture has to do with. So it says, He's going to do something and he will gather before him all the nations and he will separate them from one another, just as a shepherd will separate the sheep from the goats. So notice there's only two categories, sheeps and goats, only those two. And that speaks, as we'll see later on, to the only possibilities two possibilities for where one will spend eternity and that eternity is going to be an eternity of consciousness that means people will think they will have feelings they will have thoughts they will have an existence for eternity but the question is where and there's only two possibilities two locations and there's one for the sheep and there's one for the goats. Look now to verse 33. And he will stand the sheep on his right side, but the goats upon the left. And then the king, I would underscore that. Why? Well, king refers to Messiah, in fact, many times in Hebrew, we use the phrase Melech HaMashiach, King Messiah. The anointed one, Messiah or Christ, that's what the term Christ is, the anointed one, most frequently has to do with the king who's been anointed to rule. And this is who we're speaking about, Yeshua, who is the king, and we read in verse 34, then the king will say to the ones on his right, come the ones blessed of my father. Now, many times when, when sharing from God's word, I emphasize the grammar. And there are two very significant grammatical characteristics in this word where it says the blessed ones. We're dealing with one Greek word. And what's unique about it, the grammar has two unique characteristics. First of all, this word is in the perfect tense. What does that speak of? That this blessing is something that God's been doing in the past to the sheep, true believers. It's something that happens right now if you're a believer. God is blessing. God is working, he's edifying, he's building. What does the scripture say? the good work that he's began in you, he is faithful. It's a blessing, his faithfulness to complete it. So God has blessed, he is blessing, and this blessing will go on into the future and the context tells us for all of eternity. Now, the second important characteristic is that it's in the passive, meaning this. Your being blessed did not have anything to do at this moment, with you. You're not blessing yourself, you're not an instrument of your own blessing, but who is? God is. And that's why he says, look very carefully, he will say to, and this is the king, to those on his right, come, O blessed ones of my father, and you will inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, think about that. God has prepared a kingdom from the time of the foundation of the world. Think about how marvelous, how magnificent this kingdom is. That God has prepared it so long ago with you in mind. And you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what sin, what crime you have committed, if you ask for forgiveness and you confess the name Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, accepting what he did upon that tree, that cross, the fact that he poured out his blood for your redemption, if you receive that, stating it and believing in your heart, That this one who died upon the cross also was risen from the dead on the third day. You believe that? You are forgiven. You, by God's grace, have been justified. You will be in the kingdom of God. And this is what he's promising. This kingdom that has been prepared from before the foundation of the world. Verse 35. For, and Messiah speaking to those blessed ones on his right, the sheep. He says, for I was hungry, and you gave to me to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me and gathered me in. Naked, and you clothed me. Sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. So we see something. Those who have been blessed by God, they manifest that blessing through what? Acts such as this, feeding the poor, clothing the naked, visiting those who are sick, visiting those who are in prison. That is what a true believer does. That is how we manifest that we are blessed by God. But it's not how we get blessed by God, how we get saved, how we get justified, not at all. That all has to do with Messiah's free gift. It's grace that saves us, not of our works. But our works manifest, not to God, God knows, our heart. It manifests it to others so that we can bear testimony, that we can show by our faith that we are a new creation. So it's for testimony to the world, not to him. He doesn't need that. He knows whom he has saved. Now, keep reading. Notice what it says in the second part of of this, this, this section, verse 37. The righteous ones, now why are they righteous? Well, here's the wrong answer. They're righteous because of all the good works they're doing. No, this is false. It is because they are righteous that they do these good works, not the other way around. See, the scripture tells us that through faith that you have the righteousness of Messiah, perfect righteousness, imputed, given to you. And that is going to manifest itself out with righteous living with being concerned for justice, being a blessing to others. But it is not through these deeds, these works, that you become righteous. That is a false teaching. So he says, once more, verse 37, Then the righteous answered him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, and we fed, or thirsty, and we gave drink? And when, you, did we see a stranger, and we took you in, or naked and clothed? And when, verse 39, you did we see sick, or in prison, and we came to you, verse 40, the king, and notice, twice, he's no longer speaking himself as the son of man, but as the king. When he came the first time, he came as the son of man, this expression having to do with a servant, one who's going to inherit all things. But when he comes the second time, he's coming as the king of kings, the lord of lords. And that's why, keep reading, in verse 30, 30, uh, 40 actually, the king, answer and he will say to them truly I say to you from what you have done to one of these the least of my brethren to me you have done now I would underline that that verse because it tells us something as you do to one of the least of his brethren it is as though you have done it to him You know what that tells me? It tells me that we should be generous, that we should be individuals that that minister, help, bless, love, support, give to those who are in need. And what's the context? Those who don't have food, don't have drink, those who are naked, those who, who are in prison, those who are sick, that we should reach out to them and provide this this sustenance for their life. That manifests the righteousness that God has placed within us. Again, it's not the means or the cause of you being righteous, it's the blood of Messiah that made you righteous, not your deeds. Your deeds can only confirm that the righteousness of Messiah has indeed been, been imputed into you through God's grace, through faith, not of works. The works testify of it to the world. So he says this to the righteous ones, the sheep, believers. Now look at verse 41. Then he will say also to the ones on his left, go away from me, the ones who are cursed. Now, notice two possibilities. Either those who are blessed or those who are cursed. Nothing in between. So realize something. You are going to be identified by by Messiah. Everyone's going to come before him. There is a judgment day, and he's either going to call you a sheep or a goat. You are either going to be blessed or you're going to be cursed. And those blessings are eternal, but the curses are also eternal. And you're gonna find there's only two possibilities, two locations where everyone is going to spend eternity. There's a place for the sheep and there's a place for the goats. Now, if you're wise, you are going to want to ensure that you're a sheep. You're going to want to be blessed of God. You're gonna want that blessing now, tomorrow, and forever. You don't wanna be cursed by God, you want to be blessed by Him. You want to be a recipient of the promises of God. So he says, verse 41, last part, to those on his left he says, go away from me the ones who are cursed into and don't miss this into eternal fire that which was prepared for the devil and his angels so he's going to either see you as as his child as his his follower or you are going to be likened with the devil and his angels. And where are they going? Here's one place, and that is a place of eternal fire. Now let's just pause for a moment, realize something. There are those who say that they believe in the New Testament, but they never deal with passages like this. They never deal with the fact that the scripture says, Messiah is speaking, and he says, go away from me, those who are cursed into eternal fire. This is damnation, this is hell. To the place that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Why, look at verse 42. For there's nothing to show that they had faith. These things don't save you, but they confirm to to others you have been saved. For I was hungry, And he says here, for I was hungry, and you did not give to me to eat. I was thirsty, and you did not give to me drink. I was a stranger, and you did not gather me up. That is, take me in. He says, naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Verse 44, then... These also will answer him saying, Lord, now even though they call him Lord, they have never made that decision. They are false believers. They say, Lord, when did you we see hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and we did not minister unto you? Verse 45. Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, for what you did not do to the least of my brethren, nor did you do to me. And let me point out something. There is an emphasis. Literally it says, what you did not do to one of these least of the brethren, nor did to me, And this is emphatic, it's emphasized. Nor to me did you do, verse 46. And these, they will will depart into eternal punishment. Now, notice, it's not just a punishment and then it's over, but it says eternal punishment. And this corresponds with what? eternal fire. This is real. You might say, well, you know, it's hard for me to understand and believe that there's a God that would condemn individuals to an eternal punishment of being burned up continuously, this ongoing fire forever and ever. Well, you may have trouble getting your mind around it, but that's what the scripture says. And I assure you, this is factual. Don't be foolish to allow your human intellect to disagree with a a perfectly wise, that's what the scripture says, a perfectly wise, eternal God who created all things, who sets all the laws, both natural laws and also spiritual laws. So he says, and these will will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous ones, and again, how is one made righteous? By grace. Through what Messiah did. Our works do not play a role in us being righteous. They only document the righteous work of Messiah in us, they manifest it. So he says, but to the righteous ones, he said this, into eternal life. And this eternal life is a kingdom life. Learn a very important truth. This word eternal is an adjective that best describes the kingdom of God. So this is where you're going to want to be forever. You know, heaven, the scripture says, the first heaven and the first earth departed. We're not spending eternity in heaven, but we're gonna spend eternity in what the book of Revelation calls the New Jerusalem. It's a kingdom experience whereby we are going to inherit the promises of God. We are going to be recipients of God's good will for his people, this blessed God. So again, you have a choice. You could either be blessed eternally or cursed eternity. Everyone's going to spend either eternity in the kingdom of God or in eternal fire. No other possibility. Possibility. Make the right decision, accept the grace of God, believe in the gospel